I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hello everyone, this is Kristen Sonanta Walker, your host of Mental Health News Radio. Joining us for a second time is author, educator, and counselor, Christine Louis de Cannonville. She joins us from her office in Dublin, Ireland. Christine joined our show in 2014 to discuss her book, The Three Faces of Evil, Unmasking the Full Spectrum of Narcissistic Abuse. Her show has been our most downloaded show to date with emails from all over the world asking when she'll join us again. Please don't miss out on her first show, which was featured on blogtalkradio.com forward slash mental health news. Christine has been a psychotherapist and supervisor of mental health professionals for over 20 years. She worked in the trauma unit of a psychiatric hospital and worked specifically with victims of narcissistic abuse in her private practice. Her mission is to make narcissistic abuse a required clinical curriculum for all behavioral health providers and those working in the mental health field. After reading her popular blog article on NarcissisticBehavior.net, titled The Typical Narcissistic Woman as a Friend, I realized how much emphasis is put on male narcissists. We decided to shine some light on the very real fact that this disorder is shared equally between both sexes, and I'm honored to speak with Christine again today. Well, good morning, Christine. It's so wonderful to have you on the show again. Well, thank you very, very much, Christine. I'm really, really excited about our talk today, and thank you so much for inviting me back. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, we had such a great response to the first show, even though it was an hour and ten minutes. It's still uh-huh. by leaps and bounds our most downloaded show. I think we're into the, I think we're into maybe seven thousand downloads at oh this my point. Goodness. Yeah, so it's it's pretty incredible. Um, it's it's a hot topic, and one of the things that you know we were going to focus on today is the female narcissist. Um, but what I want to repeat to our audience is um, tell me about the book that's coming out, when it's coming out, and the name of your book. Ah, okay. Well, the name of the book is uh, The Three Faces of Evil. Basically, it is a book that explains or introduces you to um, narcissism, Machiavellianism, and psychopathy 
their criminal terms you, that I learned in criminology, that really I learned so much more through that uh, discipline than anything else. But in the therapy room, we're more, to, I'm more likely to talk about narcissism, malignant narcissism, and, and the psychopath. Mm. And the book comes out in April, all being well. That's the scheduled date, and it will be available. Um, it can be downloaded from my site. Um, it'll be also be at outlets like Amazon, but I can put all of that information up on my site near wonderful. the time. Wonderful, wonderful. I'll be I'll be pushing that out um, as well. I've had so many requests about when is the book coming out. So. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've had the same. You know, I, I'm I'm very surprised, really, and I'm absolutely astounded to hear that you've had seven thousand um, downloads. I mean, it's heartwarming for me that, um, but on the other hand, it shows how prevalent this um, whole epidemic is. Absolutely, absolutely. People don't. I find myself in discussions with people. Um, you know, it's not your everyday coffee chat topic, but uh, they'll hear something I've said or I'll allude to something and then all of a sudden um, I'm, in a th I'm in it thick talking about this uh, with someone who looks at me like, you just gave me a language that I didn't even know exists. Thank you. Yes. Yes. So let's talk right. about let's talk about the female narcissists. I, I would imagine that this starts with uh, the mother very often. So um, give our our providers an idea of you know where this seed first gets planted. Well, I think I mentioned it the last time we spoke. It would appear that actually the seed is planted at. A, the experience of the child mm -hmm. where they don't really get their needs met where there's neglect and the neglect the neglect can be either not enough attention or too much of attention it seems to be going more that way today that it's too much attention the children are princes and you know princesses and they're used to getting everything their own way and they don't learn to start to take from within themselves they're looking all the time outwardly to get their self-esteem raised. Um, so in, in a way, even though narcissistic mothers are going to be very, very damaging to their children, they actually are the result of damage themselves. So there's Correct. no winners here. Correct. Right. There's no winners. And one thing that I find a, a hard line to ride is that many narcissists um, depend on pity so they'll use that oh I was abused or oh my mother was this or oh I'm I'm being abused by a narcissist myself um, as a pity play and that's actually just a lure to get you in to you know become in effect narcissistic supply to these people um, so for me it's it's a hard line there when knowing whether someone is really in trouble or this is someone that's using that story in order to obtain supply. Mm, that's a very interesting point. I, I, would be, I agree with you. I would be inclined to think that actually there are two things going on, that they are manipulating and using. Mm -hmm. But I think that actually within their, in the depths of their own self, unconsciously, I would imagine, 
that uh, they are always trying to get to also work through their own hurt and wound at that deep level, that they're hoping to change things, but actually nothing ever does change. Right, I for them because right. they're so abusive, they destroy every relationship that they're in. Doesn't matter whether it's a friendship or a child relationship or you know a lover relationship or a workplace relationship. Doesn't matter. They will still act out all of these behaviors and they push people away. So then they become the victim once again. So they're always be in a way they do always feel the victim. Mm -hmm. I think there is truth in that. I, I do too. I do too. It's just hard to, um, you know, seeing it from the outside view and kind of watching someone who's completely disordered um, spin out of control over and over again and, uh, and stay, and yet they don't seem to learn from these experiences. I think for me... They don't learn. Yeah, for me, the layperson here, um, the difference between someone who's on a healing journey is yes you can be have toxic behavior and you can hurt people out of your own wounding but you learn and you evolve and you change your behavior and it seems with someone who is narcissistic or has you know unhealthy levels of narcissism they just stay frozen in time and they keep hurting and wounding and hurting and wounding and they don't actually ever change and grow and evolve and at the same time, and it's almost like a contradiction, because although they are, you know, as the victim will, work out of their own pain and hurt as well, um, they are working out of that, but at the same time, they believe that they're perfectly all right. That contradiction. Absolutely. They don't recognize to their, to their own selves that they are so wounded. Now, that's the difference between um, someone a therapist can work with and somebody a therapist can't really work with. And that is the difference. Absolutely. And sadly, many of these people, I mean, not you know many, but quite a few are therapists themselves. What a way to mask your narcissism to actually be a behavioral health provider yourself. Yes. <laughs> Treating yes. other people and being absolutely disordered, as you and I both know, we have some mutual colleagues that have experienced that, and I, I have as well. And of course, then the, the, let's say that you get the, let's say the the child of a narcissistic parent comes into the therapy room. Um, at first, they're not going to be totally trusting because they've learned to stand on their own feet, really. Mm -hmm. um, they couldn't rely on somebody else. Um, but they're look, as they build a relationship with a healthy therapist, reasonably healthy at least therapist, <laughs> um, they will start to get their trust. They will start to go inward. They will start to they'll feel it's safe enough for them to look now at the parent that they've always been loyal to. It's very, very hard for the child to admit that their parent is a narcissist. Right. It's hard because they have to face all that goes with that. And they're in, they've spent their whole life protecting that parent. Right. And that was the setup of that household that they were supposed to do that. So if the if the victim is with a healthy therapist, they'll get the safety, they'll get the trust, and they'll they'll start to unpack their story. Um, however, if they meet a narcissistic therapist, 
now you're going to they're going to be re-traumatized because they will feel exactly the same that they feel, felt with their let's say mother they'll feel all of that self-defending in in front of that therapist um, they won't be able to work out what the heck is happening because they think of the therapist is on their side because a lot of the time they are mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time there's this um, tugging and pulling that's going on and actually they can come away from therapy actually further traumatized absolutely absolutely what are some characteristics of the narcissistic mother and let me preface that by saying you know there's all of these studies out there talking about how there are more male narcissists than female you know whatever those statistics are in my own personal experience I've found it to be pretty equal um, but more is put on more attention is put on on uh, male uh, on men um, so that's why I think it was important for us to have this show to talk about you know it isn't just men but what are what are some characteristics that's um, that are associated with female narcissists and again I would also agree with you because I certainly in my therapy room over many many years and not just recently but over many many years um, I would sort of say it's 50-50 I'm finding as well possibly the reasoning behind that is because women now will go on forums and all sorts of things and they will talk about the abuse by their males males who have been abused by female narcissists are less likely to talk about it absolutely it doesn't really get um, the you know the press that the the female victim gets, Absolutely. and I think that that plays a large part in us misunderstanding actually how how prevalent the female narcissist is. So let's have a look at um, well first of all um, there's healthy narcissism which I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. So we all need to be narcissistic to some degree it's actually makes us healthy it's when it becomes pathological that we have problems so a nor- normally you know a mother she may have a few of course we have our little traits every so often yes we need the attention now and again um, we, yes we get angry and um, but most of the time we'd expect that normal mothering would show a caring selfless and giving mother Mm-hmm. And these these very qualities are missing in the narcissistic mother. So they tend to focus, so the narcissistic mother will tend to, rather than focus on their child, they focus on their own needs and they use control and manipulation um, against the child so that child will respond to her needs. Hmm. And they do not seem to appreciate the damage that they do to the child by doing that. Right. So really what we're dealing with really is a mother that's self-absorbed and incapable of giving empathy and unconditional love to her child. And the consequences of that, of course, is that it silences the child's her, their feelings and their thoughts. So the child, in a way, doesn't really develop their true identity as a result absolutely and then they grow up and they um, are more prone to or I would say it's a 99.9 percent chance that they're going to accept 
toxic relationships throughout their life um, until Absolutely. they and work this out. Absolutely, and some will never work it out. That's the sad part. Right. But the more we talk about it, the more the more people can you know can do about it. You can't do much if you've no awareness. Uh, correct. Basically, um, what we're looking at when we're talking about a narcissistic mother is we're talking about somebody that's um, always showing that chronic pervasive patterns and they, they don't change. So that need for attention, that need for um, entitlement, um, all, that, all of the criteria the nine criteria that I, there are nine criteria in narcissism that I talk about in my book, and they, um, if you have five or more, then you would be identifying somebody or diagnosing somebody as having a narcissistic personality. So five or more, it's not good. Um, so they, those behaviors get worked out all of the time. And um, everything is always about the mother. They always have to be right. They always have to have their own way. And, you know, as Dr. Phil, I heard him saying in some program, their favorite word is me, me, me. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> and that pretty much sums them up, really. We could almost end the relation, this interview there now. Right. <laughs> it's very true. I've seen it generationally in my own family. My mother definitely is not um, someone with unhealthy, um, with narcissistic personality disorder. Um, but her mother was, and so I learned how to be um, someone who, be, you know, at bended knee, I learned how to make everyone else's needs more important than my own, not because my mother demanded that I take care of her needs, but that I watched her, um, you know, get the demand of taking care of only her mother's needs. So it's interesting. It'll pass from generation to generation to generation. Um and did you have? Um, did you know your grandmother? I did. She's still living when you were growing up. Yeah. Okay. So you would have been you would have been playing safe around her. You would have picked up on your grandmother's behavior towards your mother. Absolutely. And you wouldn't have wanted that. You wouldn't want that to come your direction. So you would have actually pampered to that need in your grandmother. Well, it was as well as exactly. It was fascinating. My grandmother had this history. She's no no longer living, but she had this history of being a wonderful grandparent until you got to about the age that you started to have your own opinions, and then you were no longer really the favorite grandchild. And I got to that age pretty early, and I figured my grandmother out pretty early, and started calling her on on things. Um, and would watch the hysterical crying, oh, you don't love me, oh, and, and for me, yeah. I immediately, you know, looked at that and went, this is ridiculous, whereas, and my mother kind of fought, she did actually foster that in me, thank goodness, good for you, that you, because she was controlled by it, I saw it for what it was, so I was just one generation further apart to yes. be able to, to say, this is craziness, so I was lucky in that respect. Well, you were you were lucky, but certainly you would have felt the effects. Absolutely. Sure. I was speaking. I was speaking to somebody um, yesterday, actually, and her mother 
is a narcissist and um, she has had just had her first baby, the first grandchild. And rather than the um, grandmother being very, very happy, the grandmother, didn't, the birth wasn't an easy one. She had to have a cesarean and the child was kept in hospital afterwards. So it didn't go very, very well. But the, the narcissistic grandmother still went to work and did everything normally, didn't go up to visit in the hospital uh, until she was ready. And then when she did, um, in work they said to her, you know, look, you take as much time as you need and, you know, go and take care of your daughter. And uh, she said, oh, no, no, she didn't take any time off at all. But the daughter came, they asked her in work, um, is your daughter going to come to you when she comes out of the hospital? And she said, oh, no, I couldn't be having that. So the daughter comes out of hospital, baby is still in the hospital, and the grandmother goes off on holiday, <laughs> off to the Canary Islands. Right. So, you know, you'd say, well, what the hell is going on there? Right. You know, well, what was going on, I would imagine, is envy. She mm. was envying her daughter, this new child. She was also probably feeling jealous of the child didn't really want to see it. This child was going to take her daughter's attention away from her. There'd be less for her. Fascinating. And so she punished. So she punished the two of them and went off. Fascinating. That is something yeah. I, I'd really like to delve into is that envy. Um, in a recent uh, article that you, I don't know if it's a recent one you wrote, but you, you wrote about overt narcissism and covert narcissism and you used mm -hmm. the female um, as the example for the overt narcissism, and of course they can, you know, males and females can be one or the other, but it absolutely struck yeah. me because I just came out of a business relationship with a obvious overt narcissist and had previously just, female, and had just come out of a, a, an, a different uh, business relationship with a covert male narcissist. So when I read your article, you know, you were writing about my last, you know, 2014 for me. So um, yes. that that envy is from both sides, covert and overt. But what struck mm -hmm. for me um, with the female narcissist is that um, fast-tracking knowledge is something that you utilize, that, that they absolutely want what you have. They're envious of what you have, and that envy in the beginning is masked so heavily as constant praise and admiration, but underlying that is absolute envy for what you've built and created yes. and a total lack of respect for what you've built and created and believing that spending maybe a few months with you, they're going to absorb your lifetime's worth of knowledge that's created, you know, you into what you yes. are. And, and then that arrogance that they can just go out and, you know, take what you have, um, but there's always that underlying just rage and envy. Where do you think that, you know, that that comes from and, and why it's reaches such toxic levels within this female? Um, well, I imagine that it's coming from their own abuse. Mm -hmm. about the things that they did not get 
I mean, they were children, innocent children once. Mm -hmm. They needed what every innocent child needs, and they weren't getting it. They may well have seen other children getting it. Now, they might also have been in their family the scapegoat child. Mm. So they may not have been the golden child, but they may have been the scape, uh, the, the scapegoat child for a narcissistic mother themselves. Okay. And they would have seen their sibling get the attention, get all the good things, um, be praised, and then all of their achievements and everything else not getting any, uh, any attention whatsoever, because that child is pretty much discarded, really, the scapegoat child. And um, probably the envy would begin there, and the rage and the anger, which has to be controlled. The child is not allowed to get angry with the mom, and uh, they're not allowed. Or it might even happen long before they even get to, to that age where they could understand even what was happening. It could be the, the, the child that the mother is ignoring uh, that's on the breast. Hmm. And the... The whole thing then is that the child's life depends really on having the breast. So the child, um, the mother doesn't respond to the child's needs. They're crying quick enough or to their dirty nappy quick enough or whatever it is. And the child has an anger and a rage within them. But self-preservation comes mm -hmm. in first. And so the child has to swallow the anger. Mm. Um, this this sort of touches into Stockholm Syndrome being a natural thing in us, which is not generally written about, that in fact from babies, when we have a mother that's um, not very nurturing, um, where the child is literally threatened with annihilation, mm. um, then the child has to bond in a different way to that to that mother, in pretty much the way as the person who is kidnapped bonds with their kidnapper. kidnapper right, exactly. It's that, the same. The trauma bond is something I've I've read yes. so much yes. about. It's so true. I mean, um, and how it um, plays out. Uh, it's almost like these people the ones that really knock you to your feet. And we talked about this in the last show. I've certainly had many, many, many toxic people in my life and, um, you know, thank goodness have learned how to more quickly extricate myself from these relationships and also take responsibility for working on why it is that I allowed this, you know, these people, um, without going into victim shaming that's a whole other that's a whole other show but but um it seems like when you meet uh that one or two people or those one or two people that absolutely knock you to your feet about narcissism the ones that make you that are so awful for you they're your perfect brand of poison it seems like they know exactly what it is to do to you in order to lock you into a trauma bond with them. And that blend of toxicity they use to suck you in may be very different for what they're using with their other victims. Oh, yes. They're very good at reading. 
they very much know, well, they'll read you very well in the beginning. They'll get to know your beliefs and your values mm-hmm. um, from conversations. That'll not, you'll, you'll reveal yourself all the time without mm-hmm. meaning, even meaning to. And they get a good measure of who you are, and then they will manipulate you accordingly. Now, if you are already conditioned, such as I was, mm-hmm. now, I did not grow up with a narcissistic mother. I actually had very loving parents, so that wasn't where my damage came from. Mine came from a sibling who was a psychopath, um, but we didn't know what the heck was wrong with him, to be honest. Um, but nonetheless, I was conditioned in pretty much the same way that even, you know, growing up with any narcissist you will be conditioned. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I actually knew how to dance the dance. And I knew it wasn't that I was trying to ingratiate myself. It's just I was so conditioned right. to be nice, to be pleasing, Absolutely. to be passive, and not be rude. And some of my cultural stuff will come in as well. You know, I'm Irish and I'm born in the 40s, so we children were had to be very polite, mm-hmm. and so all of those kind of conditioned responses um, made me actually a narcissist dream, to be absolutely honest. <laughs> I feel but like I had, that too, I hear you, absolutely. Yeah, they love me, they absolutely love me, and what's even worse is I kind of like them as well. Oh, yeah. And um, and I, I didn't know... I didn't know that I was unhealthily attracted, that um, of course I'd grown up with this brother that I adored and spent a lot of time with, and the first 30 years of my life with, and um, I loved his excitement and I loved his passion for life and all of those things, and of course I was very much attracted to that than anybody else, Right. but I didn't know that I was putting myself in danger, I had no idea. Absolutely. I uh, exactly. I um I found it very interesting to sort of to figure out uh, about um July of last year when I was in Italy for a month, I came upon came upon um some writings by Andrea Schneider, who's a counselor in California. I know you've Yes, I I know Andrea very well, and that was my, oh my, I read some of what she's written on good therapy. and works amazing. Absolutely, and I went, oh my gosh, I'm in Italy, Italy and I'm, which is not where, you know, I'm from, obviously, I'm on vacation, um, and I'm reading, like, it's like I just learned how to read. And then she introduced me to you and, you know, the story goes on from there. And then there's people like Michelle Malin, who I've worked with as well. So it's been fascinating, but um, you're absolutely right. You, you, I think another show we could do is about, you know, how there, there's a difference between having empathy and being someone who is an empath, and I mm-hmm. think that um, I, I know now I am an empath, and that is why I am a narcissist. Um, sorry to be crude, but wet dreams. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. 
This is so it. Here's your sister. Here's your si no. Here's your twin. Your twin <laughs> across the pond. Here's my twin. <laughs> yes. It's fascinating to, you know, to have learned all of that. That helped me extricate myself in a very safe way from the covert male narcissist I was dealing with in business. That helped me yes. tremendously. But then I walked right into a relationship with an overt female narcissist yes. in business and what, what was what was good about that and I think I, I wrote a response on your blog article was that because this is my work now this is what I want to do in the world is, is bring attention to this I think I needed to see both sides of that coin I'm glad that those experiences happened and what was good was I was able to extricate myself so much more quickly with the female um, narcissist because I had this language now. I had, I was aware, I knew what unhealthy narcissism is and I knew how to pull myself out of that relationship. Um, and I think what a lot of people will do is they keep getting in these relationships, especially em really empath empathic people, again and again and again, and they don't know, they have no awareness about what this is. Um, but once they do, they'll still get into these relationships, but they get out much more quickly and with less damage. That's right. And without the awareness, um, you know, a lot of people have gone into the therapy room not knowing that they were coming from narcissistic abuse at all. Mm -hmm. um, the therapist not actually knowing that either. Exactly. Um, so they did a lot of the recovery work, but they didn't actually get deep enough that actually the, the person then would go out of the therapy room a lot better and having done a lot of work on themselves, which was terrific, mm -hmm. but not deep enough that it didn't leave them still actually targets for more narcissists. Oh, you're talking about me. Absolutely. Yeah, and me. And I mean, I did, I mean, I've, I've studied many different types of therapy over 25 years. And, and I'm only saying that to say that in each therapy, I had to experience therapy from that school of thought. Mm -hmm. So I've done several types, you know, quite a lot of therapy, really. Um, I never reached this, never ever heard the word narcissism mentioned or psychopath that was never mentioned I was unaware of it the, the therapists I work with were all brilliant but they were unaware of it right. as well so I the I actually nobody ever ever dealt with my unconscious um, defense mechanisms nobody and these were set these it was my own defense mechanisms that were setting me up Absolutely. Because they would be the you know being the passive one, being the being the empathic one, um, being the pleaser. Absolutely. Uh, feeling very very guilty if I, I wasn't more than helpful. Um, and feeling I was horrible. Absolutely, and if I wasn't giving everything. And walking around as an empath, you, the, your gift is that you're able to take the t emotional temperature of, of other people, um, and you feel that you f you feel their yes, emotion. But that's, but that's the fairy. That actually is what is so attractive. Absolutely, to the narcissist because you can feel their pain. You can 
truly, truly read them, not as a narcissist, but from their from their level of pain. Right. You can enter into that pain with them mm-hmm. and not be afraid of it for them. So you can sit in that pain with them, and they get to pour their heart out. Absolutely. As a victim that they were in their in their past, and you, well, certainly I speak for me. I thought that that vulnerability was making us close friends. <laughs> right. I, I did. I thought. Same well, here. You know, <laughs> right, and uh, I wasn't really dealing with a friend at all, but I really believed that I was, and uh, so in actual fact, that was the attraction. I'm not going to say that I'm I, I'm not empathic anymore, um, but hopefully I'm quicker at noticing. I'm able to read. I know what's going on much better. Mm-hmm. I'm, I couldn't guarantee that I won't fall for another one. I really I uh, couldn't be sure. Not. Right. But I'm doing okay in the last few years. <laughs> I see them. I spot them. And I still like them. But I, I know. Exactly. You don't get hooked. Exactly. Um, I think, too, the danger for really empathic people and true empaths also is that, yes, you you can go there, and it's so natural for you to do that, um, to feel their pain, but then you become the toxic waste bin for all of their pain, and you start taking on their traits, and you start becoming what they are, and so they can sit back you know, you're acting out all of their rage and envy that they're working like hell to mask. You're out there in the world acting it out, and then they're able to point the finger and say, see, this one's the one that's crazy. It's not innocent me. That's what I found fascinating um, is is that ability, that that dance between the narcissist and the empath is, um, you know, wow, what a what a dream for them. They can dump all of their toxic garbage on the empath and then blame the empath for being the narcissist. Yes. That's what's Absolutely. incredible. And then they get they also get angry at you for rescuing them from situations. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I've you rescue them and then they, they turn the anger on you for rescuing them. Absolutely. And they'll even turn around and say, I, I didn't want you to rescue me. Um, but yet they were screaming out for you to rescue them. Absolutely. But that's where code narcissists comes in. Um, a lot of the readings that I have read talk about codependent behavior. I'm not a lover of that expression, even me though either, it me. works well. It, make, it does fit, but it's not, it's not a title that I feel most comfortable with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I prefer, again, it's another title, so it's not perfect. None of the titles are perfect. But another title is a co-narcissist. So I see myself as a co-narcissist. Mm-hmm. I have learned the dance, and I've learned the dance to protect myself. Mm. Um, and by and, by and large, it it worked by and large, but it didn't always work completely. But when you are the victim, and especially we've kind of come away from um, the children of narcissistic mothers, but especially if you have been the child of a narcissistic parent, mm-hmm. um, you're left with three responses, really, because there is an interpersonal problem going on between that parent and, and everybody. And the child then either is left with identifying 
with the parent. Um, so in other words, they imitate them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that child can come up, can become narcissistic in adult life. Mm -hmm. Not all children who have narcissistic parents become narcissistic. In fact, most don't. That's my experience. Um, but the child that identifies will take on the qualities, the values, the feelings, the behavior. And in that way, then, they can become narcissistic themselves and go on then, to, if they're a female, to be, become a narcissistic mother, unfortunately. Then there's the compliance. Now, this was the one I took, and I suspect you may have as well, but I certainly did. And this is where um, I was very approving. I was, you know, a great approver for narcissists. I told them how great they were and mm -hmm. how fantastic. And wasn't everybody horrible to them? I did all mm -hmm. that. Oh, yeah. Um, so I maintained that position, really. And um, my pleasing behavior, my, my passive behavior, all of that was in there. Put their needs before my own. So the third one is being rebellious. I didn't pick that one. Um, so very the, the rebellious stance is no better really because very often, like for instance a child, a narcissistic mother will want the child to be uh, successful at one level and yet when the child is successful, they get envious of it. Absolutely. So the child cannot win one way or the other, absolutely no win situation for the child. So but the child in his rebellious state may decide to flunk all his exams and school right. in order to punish the, the mother, you know, or or father, whatever. Maybe the parent wants the child to do well so they can go into the family business. So the child will deliberately do badly academically in order to punish back. I don't want to work with you a lot, and I'm not going to become the accountant or whatever. Right. But unfortunately, that turns against the child. I mean, if they went ahead and got their degree or they got their exams, whatever, they can enhance that and take that anywhere into their lives that they want to use it later Absolutely. and use it as a, um, a stepping ladder to wherever they want to go. But they're too afraid to stand up to the narcissistic parent in an outwardly way. So they turn in on themselves, basically. So it's self-defeating, really. Absolutely. I, I've watched this with my wonderful ex-husband uh, that I love dearly. Um, unfortunately, he had two narcissistic parents, and um, so he was in a no-win situation and he's an empath extremely empathic person he's an empath and so he just had no chance <laughs> yeah and it's sad to see but um but yeah it it's fascinating with me that the when you're talking about um the rescuing many children will you know do the covering up for the the narcissistic mother um, covering up for their bad behavior. Um, so in that dance of, you know, constantly rescuing the the narcissist while the narcissist is enraged at you, you know, begging for being rescued and then, in fact, enraged at their child for doing the rescuing. 
Yes, that's true. But don't forget that the mother, the narcissistic mother, is power-driven. And they, can, they really are control freaks, and they micromanage their children. But in the micromanaging of their children, they are actually setting them up to be objects of narcissistic supply. Absolutely. And they, they truly become narcissistic supply for the mother. And so in that way, the mother really does destroy the child and encourages dependency and infantile behavior from their offspring. Like, you know, they, they want their children to grow up and be independent, or so they say. But actually, they hold their children down, completely hold them down. Absolutely. They don't really want to lose them, not really. Not even when they marry, they don't want to lose them. Right, yes. And they still want to control them and their families then. Absolutely, and they cause multiple issues between the, uh, with, between the, the husband couple. and wife, the couple, or the, yep. you know, in the world yeah. we are today, the um, wife and wife and husband and husband, um, they'll cause major issues because they're jealous of that, of their child having yes. a relationship with someone other than them. Yes. And of course, the mother, the narcissistic mother, is very engulfing. Um, they don't allow boundaries to exist between themselves and their their, their child. So, if we're talking about the daughter for the moment, um, they don't allow um, boundaries to exist between their daughter and themselves. Um, and that'll that'll come out in ways like the daughter will be expected to look after them. So they might do quite a hefty amount of the cooking and cleaning in the house. Um, they will interfere in their child's private business. They won't give them the privacy that they need. And I'm talking about things that might seem trivial, but they're not trivial. No, like they add up. Even walking in, walking in into the bathroom, you know, or into their bedrooms without knocking. Um, as if that they have that entitlement that they can go anywhere. So, so the child ends up with no place that they can actually call their own, really. Um, worse than that, though, they they turn their children into their parents at times as well, and that is because they want to the child to meet their emotional needs. It's not unusual for, for the mother to talk to their young girls. I'm talking about maybe girls of 12 or something like that. And they're talking to them about their sex life with their dad. Or right. Or with their boyfriends, if they have boyfriends. And they put that burden on the child. The child doesn't really have a frame of reference at that stage. Or they, if they have, they shouldn't have at 12. Um, if they have, then you'd wonder well, what has happened to them. Right. Um, so, in a way, they're, they make a parent out of the child. And so there, there's this role reversal going on. And of course, if, you're, if they're unlucky to have an ignoring mother, which narcissistic mothers are, they're probably not going to have much interest in what their daughter really is interested in. Not really. Um, they'll neglect that daughter's needs. So, for instance, they won't encourage them to pursue the career of their dream. They may, if like if the mother has been a hairdresser or something like that, they may want the child to go into that and let her live through that child once again through that same profession. 
but they might not encourage their daughter to go and be to take science. Right. And that might be where the child's interest is. So, so uh, excuse me. So, of course, then there is always the gaslighting. So, I think we spoke about the gaslighting last time. I think we may have done. So, basically, it's lies by words and deeds, and the child ends up totally confused and can't can't trust their own self, never mind anybody else. Right, so how do they develop their own identity? They're being gaslighted. Well, they don't. Exactly. They don't fully. They become like, um, have you ever read the myth of Echo? Yes. Narcissus and, narciss and Narcissus. Um, poor Echo falls in love with Narcissus. Uh, narcissus. And am I saying that right? It doesn't sound right. No, you are. You are. <laughs> I am. Um, well, Echo falls in love with him, and he's beautiful and all the rest of it, but he's not at all interested. You know, they do, he didn't relate to anybody, men or women. And uh, poor Echo ends up with just becoming a shadow of her own self. Mm -hmm. And all she can do is echo part of what he says. So if he calls out, who's there? All she can say is, there. Mm. What do you want? Want. Mm. So she can only echo part, and that's exactly what happens to you when you're in a narcissistic relationship, regardless of whether it's your mother or your friend or a co-worker. It doesn't matter. You end up becoming a shadow of yourself and exactly. echoing what they want. Here's something fascinating. This just made me think of the the covert male narcissist that I worked with. Um, I remember going into his office and saying, uh, you know, listen, you have this employee that um, just is going to run around and she's going to try to figure out what your needs are before you even know you have a need. And that's really unhealthy. I was trying to explain to him, this is unhealthy. Uh, it's an unhealthy dynamic between you as her employer, and it's an unhealthy dynamic for her as your employee. I'm certainly not going to do that for you because I'm an adult, and so something needs to be done. This was an employee that kept referring to me as the mother and him as the father in this business relationship. It was just so toxic. And so I think that I'm speaking to an adult by talking to the owner and saying, You've got to, you know, stop this language with this person. You have to stop this behavior. And what I didn't realize at the time was that this actually, my telling him this, um, that this woman, this young woman that he has working for him is going to always fulfill his needs before he even knows he has a need, instead of his being horrified by that and saying, you're right, that is really unhealthy, I should work on that, I was actually giving him great information because he's such a narcissist. To him, that was, oh my gosh, I will never get rid of this person. Why, would, why wouldn't I want to have someone shuffling after my needs before I even know I have a need. I mean, to him, that was glorious. And that's when I started to take a look and go, there's really not much I can do with this organization. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. He likes yeah, this. The, he wants and of this. Course when you, yeah, 
And when you tried to warn them against them, you were not going to be flavor of the month. No, 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 <laughs> you no. definitely were not going to be appreciated for trying to rescue him from that situation. Absolutely. That he didn't really want to be rescued from anyway. And exactly. And of course, you know, yeah. And of course, you know, the boundaries are, you know, when you, again, the narcissistic mother, um, because she has no boundaries. Correct. She doesn't set boundaries for her child. So very a lot, you know, victim, myself included, um, I my boundaries were terrible. But I didn't even know that. I actually didn't know. Um, but when, you know, th your boundaries are really set in childhood, really. Right. And you need someone to to define those boundaries for you, that you know where you begin and where the other person ends. Right. Um, I was totally and utterly enmeshed in my brother, and to the point where, for survival, I had to know his needs and meet his needs, um, keep him, try and keep him in a good mood and good humor, and that often meant throwing away my needs completely, mm -hmm. but it was, you know, as long as I was staying safe and feeling all right, then that was, that was fine by me, really. And uh, so, parents don't teach, the, the narcissistic mother will not teach her child to have those boundaries. And, uh, well, that's, that certainly is not going to help them. Um, they will be sucked in with another narcissist very, very easily. Absolutely. And I think that the differentiation that I, for me, that I'd like to point out is just because you, you know, might have been raised by a narcissistic parent, either mother or father, or you yeah. witnessed this, it doesn't mean that you're forever um, damaged. The difference for me is, okay, so I developed myself personally unhealthy narcissistic traits. We all can. But the difference between someone that has a personality disorder and someone who does not is that the person who does not will seek treatment. They will grow and evolve yes. and work and have self-reflection and, and, and many times, you know, cause further damage to themselves by shaming themselves for behavior that really doesn't belong to them. It belongs to the narcissist they're dealing with. There's just all kinds of levels that, you know, we could get into. But the fact is that person doesn't stay frozen in this unhealthy, disordered behavior throughout their lifetime. Maybe, you know, their behavior, um, you know, it, it, it lessens over time as they, as they learn and evolve and evaluate themselves and want to grow and change. And with someone who has a disorder, they do not change. They continue um, on with this same behavior for the rest of their lives. That's the difference. They have, they have, no, they have no wish to change exactly. well because they're getting all their needs met. They're, they move from one person to the next. They have no attachment. So when their supply is not meeting their need anymore, they are totally devalued and then disregard, uh, discarded. And Absolutely. they're on to the next one. So they are constantly moving on into new relationships that will meet their needs, and they let go of them with no, with no remorse whatsoever. Um, but on, when you get the victim, 
coming into the therapy room. They're a joy to work with, an absolute joy to work with, because now they don't, they wouldn't necessarily know that they have been narcissistically abused. And that's why I think it's really important for therapists to understand this behavior. They have to understand the narcissistic, the, the dark triad, I would say. They have to understand the whole of the, the dark triad. They don't have to write papers on it or anything like that. But they need to understand it. So as the victim's story unfolds, the, the, the little alarm bells will be going off for the therapist. They're able to hang up these little, make you know, make a memory of. Okay, they said that. They said that. They said that. Okay, and um, you get an idea then that they're probably dealing with a narcissist in their past, and you've got to educate them around what that actually is, because it's only in the awareness that they also can understand their own behavior right. as incredibly. Um, self-survival tactics that were brilliant. Absolutely, but thank you. They were brilliant at that time, but they might not be brilliant now. Right. We might need to change them now. I think because they're actually setting you up for re for revictimization, actually. Absolutely, and I think that's why um, this is so important, and why it was it's so important for me to have you on the show, since my audience is largely providers. Um, I had the same experience as you where I spent many, many years in therapy and yet we never went to that deep level where we talked about this it could have saved me decades uh, if I had been told about this in my 20s instead of in my 40s. So I think what I want to convey as we you know, come to a close, um, I want to convey that therapists need to study this they need to take this seriously and have this language which is why I'm so um, honored to have you on the show because that is exactly what you're doing the work that you're doing is is with providers giving them these tools this language so they can get to that um, deeper level with their with their clients their patients and work on the core issues instead of just Otherwise, it's it's like you're you're putting a bandaid on people's issues. And yes, you may get to you know near the root cause of their problems, but you're not really getting to the root until you talk about this. That's right. That's right. And you're also not getting to their defense mechanisms until you do that too. Because if you just started with the defense mechanisms, you, it actually makes would make them feel that you're blaming them, that you're you know that you're yeah, that you're blaming them um, and judging them as been having something wrong with them. Correct. I actually see the defense mechanisms as incredibly intelligent. And how, how clever of a child to develop pleasing behavior if that keeps you safe. Right. And that's why they do it. And, and though and you're right. That, they don't. Yeah. That survival sorry. tactic, I'm sorry, that I just want to really honor what you're saying, that survival tactic that is brilliant for you as a child can become your noose, the anvil around your neck as you become an adult. So if you don't have someone, that, a therapist that you're working with that can cut to the quick and get to the root cause of these issues, then um, you're right. You're, you're, you can actually cause further damage with your, with your patient. I know that from the receiving end. I'm not a therapist. 
Um, but I certainly know that from, you know, the receiving end and you know it, you know, as, as a therapist. So one thing I would want to convey to all of the listeners is, you know, go to NarcissisticBehavior.net, read Christine's work, order her book, um, you know. And I'm only, my book will really be only an introduction to what is quite a bigger, bigger subject. But there's fantastic information on the web. Um, I'm, I'm actually looking to hopefully in time, won't be done overnight I'm afraid, I ho would hope that this would become um, part of a therapist training. Absolutely. You know, they, might only need, they might only need a couple of modules and then after when they do their training they could do, go and do some um, continuous professional development in just this area. And for any therapist that's listening, please don't be put off by, by this being a huge, huge thing. How am I going to learn all of this? You have already, if you have gone through your training, you already have most of what you need. The piece that's missing for you is actually not understanding the behavior right. of the dark triad. So that's the bit you need to learn. It's fascinating learning. It's really, I, I'm very passionate about it and I love when I find, I'm learning all the time. I certainly am you know, not really an expert of anything really. I'm learning as I'm going along all the time, but I am passionate about it and I love it. And when you sit with a client and you're able to shine this light that maybe they were dealing with a personality disorder, they can still love that parent Absolutely. at the end of it if they choose to because now they're starting to realize, make sense of actually something was very wrong. We knew there was something wrong but we didn't have a name for it and nobody ever told me that and you can actually feel compassion for the member of your family that was so dis disturbed. I love my brother, I don't hate him. I hate his behavior, right? but I can make that distinction between the two. And it's like giving somebody their life into their hands when you give them that missing piece of the puzzle. And if you don't understand the dark triad as a therapist, you can't really hand them that missing piece of the puzzle. Correct. The rest you know. You know how to sit in the pain with them. You know how to let them go through their app reaction or whatever they need to do. You know how to do all of that. You've, you're trained in all of that. If you know trauma work, even better still. You're really flying high if you know trauma work on, on top. So don't be frightened by it, but please be aware it's coming into your room more than you realize. Absolutely. It's just not being identified. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much again, Christine, for coming on the show. Um, I would be honored if you'll come back again and we'll pick different topics. We always veer off into different directions, but um, but it's all part of just spreading this awareness out, out there. So Yes, and, and maybe next time or another time we could look at um, the sons of narcissistic mothers. That would be fantastic. Because that brings, that's, brings a different picture yet again. Absolutely, it does. I think that sons of narcissistic parents tend to move into that covert, especially the narcissistic mother can move into that covert area um, quite 
it's it's quite a, a magic pill for them to move into that. So that that would definitely be an, an interesting topic. But again, thank you for coming on the show, and I cannot wait until we do this again, and I certainly can't wait for your book to come out. Well, thank you very much. And it's as as it was last time, it's been an absolute pleasure and joy to talk with you all. So thank you all very much. So I'll say goodbye for now. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous. And they're just good people. And also MyGenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, CopeNotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. I'm passive aggressive, but never without good intentions. I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you, I can